It's good to have you here on the Arantia Radio Podcast. It's been a little more than a couple of weeks since my last podcast, and a good part of that reason is because we were in preparation of Hurricane Ian, which ended up uh, coming right at us, and it extended my uh, inavailability for another two weeks as we scramble to get our power and uh, just basically take care of the the needs uh, of the immediate you know situation and that's what we did so my family and I are safe our home is safe we are relatively safe from much of the affliction that was widespread many people lost their homes it's real tragedy there and I've shared some uh, sort of personal thoughts with others about my perception of of Hurricane Ian. And um, in its initial approach, before we knew it was going to hit us, uh, she was a, maybe I was romanticizing it a little bit too much, but I looked at the awe of this, this mighty storm and I, and I couldn't help think about the Isle of Paradise. Uh, The reason I say that is because in, you know, think of the universe as the way that the Arantia book describes it, where you have the Isle of Paradise and then you have Havona, which surrounds the Isle of Paradise. The Isle of Paradise is the center of all things and the center of time itself, and it's the the residence of the Trinity, and it's certainly the residence of the Father of all creation. And uh, there's a there's a passage in the Arantia book that says if you were to be transported from where we are today to the Isle of Paradise, we would be so deprived of being able to perceive what we were seeing that we wouldn't know where we were. We would not be able to even really see anything because we would be so limited in our perception. And uh, so when I, during the hurricane, the eye of the storm actually came within visual distance of our home. And there was that intermittent peace uh, where the winds calmed. Uh, and, of course, the weather people will tell you that when this happens, it just means you're at the eye of the storm. And in the eye of the storm, everything is is almost perfect. And then there, you've got all this energy swirling around, this incredible giant energy system bringing destruction to everything, but also replenishing everything. It's, it's taking all of that moisture, that, that energy, that kinetic energy in the ocean, and it's, and it's metamorphosing into all kinds of other energy, wind and precipitation and force. And in a, in a way, that's kind of how the universe is. The seven, the seven super universes are the giant cyclones that spin around the central universe, and then which spins around the Isle of Paradise, and in the Isle of Paradise, everything is calm and tranquil. And so, to me, seeing this this approaching storm, I couldn't help try to compare that to the, you know, the awe that the the awe of the spectacle. That's what I call it, the awe of the spectacle. I think Immanuel Kant said that when we glimpse, you know, these tremendously large systems when we glimpse the greatness of mother nature we are we are getting insight we're getting a peek into uh, divinity divine power and that's why it's so overwhelming to the senses 
Uh, and anyway, that's that's basically what I took away from the hurricane. It was certainly destructive. But it's destructive because we haven't figured out yet that we shouldn't be building homes on barrier islands in such quantity. And uh, thing, uh, one thing that saved us, as a side note, is that when we endured uh, Hurricane Irma four or five years ago, it did tear down our cage. It did rip up some of our roof. And it did make us feel vulnerable, and we were lucky to get out of that one because we weren't in the eye of, of Irma. Uh, but um, because we got our cages, our outdoor lanai's rescreened, we installed uh, you know better roofing that could withstand a Category Five hurricane. Because of all this, we were able to uh, have little damage this time, and so that was good. That was a great thing for us. But there was a lot of destruction. There's no question. And you adapt. People adapt. Uh, we're, you know, this isn't the first go-around for human beings when it comes to weather. In many ways, weather co-sponsored religion because it was the fear of this weather, these weather systems, thunder, lightning, that drove men uh, and women together. Uh, you know, interestingly, uh, the instinct to work together is apparent in a in a storm or a disaster because the morning after Hurricane Ian ripped through, I remember it quite well, and I never want to forget it. I walked outside. The sun was just coming up. It was around 7 a.m., and it was the day after Hurricane Ian, and all the other neighbors were coming out of their homes as well. It's almost as if we all woke up at the same time and we all walked out, and almost immediately people started helping each other People that I didn't even know their names. Some did. Some of them I knew who they were, but uh, neighbors that I'd l- lived across the way for years and not knowing who they are. And it was that spirit of cooperation. It was that adjutant spirit that made us all sort of behave in a similar fashion. And uh, it's a pretty interesting experience, neighbor helping neighbor. And I told my son, I said, you know... Um, you know, in times like these, these, ad, ad, you know, adversarial events uh, will bring out the best and sometimes the worst in people. And fortunately for us, there were more examples of the best being pulled out of uh, this tragedy. And it continues to unfold. I've, I've done other podcasts uh, on this very subject. So anyway, that's, that's what took me so long to get back. And there's a uh, quite a bit I want to try to get to in this episode. I'm still in uh, the area north of where our home is because we have power up here and I'm able to do these podcasts now for you. So I do want to tell you that I got a word that IC23 is coming. The Urantia Book Fellowship is hosting the international conference uh, for Urantia Book readers. That'll be live and in person July 24th through the 28th next year. Living the Teachings, Heart, Mind, and Soul. It will be at the Oak Brook Hills Resort and Conference Center, about a half hour from Chicago's major airports. It offers uh, comfy beds. We always want comfy beds. Beautiful pool uh, and golf course. And if I remember, July is a spectacular month to be in the Windy City. And uh, what is it? Somebody told me one time when they were in Chicago, there's two seasons. There's winter 
and then construction. So for those of you living in Chicago, you know what I mean. Uh, the Arantia Book Fellowship, again, next year, 2023, July 24th through the 28th. And uh, I heard the last one was quite spectacular. If it's uh, God's will that I go, I'll be there. That's what I say. But I do want to go. I would love to go. And so, um, again, thank you for all the nice email from folks who emailed me. Um, the the number of people that I've reached, uh, Joshua, Diane, uh, the folks with the uh, Unity Project that have been on the program, people that are just listeners to the podcast. A lot of you wrote, uh, apparently aware of the fact that I was in Florida wishing me well and sending prayers, and I'm just so grateful and thankful to, for the friends that have I, I have acquired in the Arantia Book community. And for those who didn't write, I know that you, uh, I was in your prayers, or at least I hope I was. I must have been, because there were so many miracles, least of which is the fact that my uh, my wife and family are safe. My daughter uh, and her boyfriend were on the other side of the state, and they came back afterwards and brought us energy and brought generators and brought fuel and have continued to help feeding people. Uh, my wife is in the food business, so she is using her skills and her talent. She's such a compassionate daughter. Uh, she really cares about people. and She's out there feeding people who need to be fed. So it's just amazing, again, going back to you know, that adjut- both adjutants, not only the spirit of cooperation, but the spirit of counsel. Uh, I-, I wonder if there's an eighth adjutant, the spirit of loving service. That would be interesting. There probably is. Anyway, uh, I want to see if I can get some of my email addresses because I've been getting some really good email. I guess I can't access it from this computer, so I won't even try. But uh, I, I wanted to talk about paper one, believe it or not, I wanted to talk about one, 157. Paper 157, I just on a casual Sunday, not that long ago, I was just kind of spot reading, which I am prone to do sometimes with the Arantia book. I'll just pick a, just a random chapter, and I'll just read it. And uh, I, I guess it isn't that one. It must be 156. Let me see if I can find it. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. And here we go. And this is when Jesus took the two apostles, or the three apostles with him, up to Hermon. Uh, and they had brought, was it, yeah, Peter, James, and John shared that experience, some of which is, of course, in the Bible. And uh, and the reason it caught my eye is because at that moment, the apostles had all pretty much dedicated their lives to the, to the Master and his teachings. And so it was on August 15th of the morning, Jesus and three apostles began the ascent of Mount Hermon, there was some unfinished business that Jesus had to conclude, and so he had to meet with uh, Gabriel, and I believe he met with Father Melchizedek, and then lo and behold, the personalized adjuster speaks, much as if you remember when Jesus was baptized and the personal adjuster, behold, my son. And so they reached their destination about halfway up the mountain, 
And shortly before noon and while eating lunch, Jesus told the three apostles something of his experience in the hills to the east of the Jordan shortly after his baptism, and also some more of his experience on Mount Hermon in his connection with the former visit to the lonely retreat where he settled the rebellion. As a boy, Jesus used to ascend the hills near his home and dream of the battles. And now he ascended Mount Hermon to receive the endowment which was to prepare him to descend upon the plains of Jordan to enact the closing scenes of the drama of his bestowal on Urantia. And the master could have relinquished the struggle of this day on Mount Hermon and returned to his rule of the universe domains, but he not only chose to meet the requirements of his order of divine sonship embraced in the mandate of the eternal son on paradise, but he also elected to meet the last and full measure of the present will of his paradise father. And so it was on this day that three of his apostles saw him decline to be invested in a full universe authority. It was too soon. Jesus knew intuitively he wasn't done with his mission. And there was a point where the transfiguration occurred. Jesus withdrew for a long conference with Gabriel and the father Melchizedek, not returning until about six o'clock. When Jesus saw their anxiety over his prolonged absence, he said, Why were you afraid? You well know I must be about my father's business. Wherefore do you doubt when I am not with you? I now declare that the Son of Man has chosen to go through his full life in your midst as one of you. Be of good cheer. I will not leave you until my work is finished. Now, there was a point in here where the Father Melchizedek and Gabriel basically said, you know, Michael, you've fulfilled your bestowal mission. Even the personalized jester appeared on the scene. Uh, I'll read to you. The three, uh, this is just while this is going on, the apostles uh, were almost asleep. Well, they were asleep. It was, uh, they were fast asleep and suddenly awakened by a nearby crackling sound. And much to their amazement and consternation, on looking about them, they beheld Jesus in intimate converse with two brilliant beings clothed in the habiliments uh, habiliments of the light of the celestial world. So these three apostles, half awake, sort of rubbing the sleep out of their eyes, they see this event that's happening in Jesus' presence where there's these brilliant beings. And Jesus' face and form shone with the luminosity of a heavenly light. These three conversed in a strange language, but from certain things Peter erroneously conjectured that the beings with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. In reality, from paper 158, paragraph 1, they were Gabriel and the father Melchizedek. The physical controllers had arranged for the apostles to witness this scene because of Jesus' request. He wanted, him, he wanted his apostles, these three especially, to see what was going on. The three apostles were so badly frightened that they were slow in collecting their wits. But Peter, Peter, who was first to recover himself, said, as the dazzling vision faded before them, and they observed Jesus standing alone, Jesus, Master, it is good to have been here. 
We rejoice to see this glory. We are loath to go back down to the inglorious world. If you're willing, let us abide here, and we will erect three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Peter said this because of his confusion and because nothing else came into his mind as just that moment. And while Peter was yet speaking, a slivery cloud drew near and overshadowed the four of them. The apostles now became greatly frightened, and as they fell down on their faces to worship, they heard a voice, the same that had spoken on the occasion of Jesus' baptism, say, This is my beloved Son. Give heed to him. And when the cloud vanished again, was Jesus alone with the three. And he reached down and touched them, saying, Arise, and be not afraid. You shall see greater things than this. But the apostles were truly afraid. They were a silent and thoughtful trio as they made ready to descend the mountains shortly before midnight. So I want to jump ahead to the meeting of the Transfiguration. And I want to read, That which Peter, James, and John witnessed on the moment of the transfiguration was a fleeting glimpse of a celestial pageant which transpired that eventful day on Mount Hermon. The transfiguration was the occasion of, number one, the acceptance of the fullness of the bestowal of the incarnate life of Michael on Urantia by the eternal mother-son of paradise. Two, the testimony of the satisfaction of the infinite spirit the mother spirit, as to the fullness of the Arantia bestowal and the likeness of mortal flesh, the universal representative of the infinite spirit on this occasion spoke through the father Melchizedek. Jesus welcomed the testimony regarding the success of his earth mission presented by the messenger of the eternal son and the infinite spirit, but he noted that his father did not indicate that the Arantia bestowal was finished. Only did the unseen presence of the Father bear witness through Jesus' personalized gesture, saying, This is my beloved Son, give heed to him. And this was spoken in words to be heard also by the three apostles. After the celestial visitation, Jesus sought to know his Father's will and decided to pursue the mortal bestowal to its natural end. This was the significance of the transfiguration of Jesus. To the three apostles, it was an event marking the entrance of the Master upon the final phase of his earth career as the Son of God and the Son of Man. After the formal visitation of Gabriel and the father Melchizedek, Jesus held informal converse with these, his sons of ministry, and communed with them concerning the affairs of the universe. And that's the end of that paper, 158, uh, section 3. And so I found it fascinating, one, looking at it from the perspective of the apostles and what they must have imagined and how they interpreted some of the events which survived in the New Testament. But also there was just that wisdom that Jesus had where even though Father Melchizedek and Gabriel and even the infinite spirit, mission complete, mission done, and he could have laid down his tools and says, okay. But there was something in him that says, well, the Father has not said to me specifically that I'm done here. So I think there's still a little bit more work to do. I'm going to follow Father's will. And I just was, I thought it was very profound. 
and it stuck with me for a few days. Sometimes it's easy in life when we think the mission is complete, whatever that mission is, and then we fail to discern that there's there's more to it than just the completion of the mission. Sometimes you have to uh, be careful that you're not just cutting and running. Sometimes life requires of us just a little bit more, that second mile that the Urantia book talks about, the second mile. It's not enough to go the first mile. It's really uh, for those who are, are, are following the Spirit where it leads to go that second mile. And that's what I extrapolated from this. And he, again, gave a, a wonderful example uh, in his teachings and in his life example of how dedicated he was to his Father's will. And I hope that you enjoyed that brief interlude with paper, what was it, 158, uh, on this edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. I also want to remind you that our articles and essays are on our website at urantiaradio.net. Also, it is a place where you can actually read from the book if you don't have it, and also find out what's happening in the community of Urantia book readers, both here in the United States and around the world. I also ask you to share this podcast with fellow seekers of truth. Uh, It's growing. The podcast is growing. I am always so humbled by the number of people who tune in each week to listen to these podcasts about the great revelation. Uh, My email address, urantiabookradio at gmail.com. And until next time, God bless, be safe, and thank you for stopping by.